1: Joining us on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast is Brad Miller, Brad Bowl collegiately at Lindenwood University. Brad, it's Tim and Coach K, Steve Klempkin here. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: All right, Brad, well, let's get into things. You guys on the PBA Tour, you've been back on the lanes from the PBA League in Virginia to everything else you got going on with the PBA playoffs. But I'd love to get your perspective. We've been talking to a lot of collegiate coaches and some players about handling this time off with COVID-19. So I'd love to know how you handled your time off and then how you worked getting back onto the lanes and and really back into PBA shape because it's a lot different for for us getting back into our league like myself and Steve and even the collegiate players. How did you handle that? And and ultimately, how were you able to get back into PBA form so quickly?
2: Um, Let's see. We had about a seven-month break. And I probably didn't do any bowling for a couple months, which felt weird. Like, my thumb shrank, and, you know, I had to go through a bunch of those different changes. But I bowled, I think I bowled some local stuff. Uh, I didn't bowl a whole lot during the week. And then, let's see, one month before, or I guess it was probably like three weeks before, yeah, probably a month before they uh, they ran all these shows in uh, Washington, D.C., I showed up in Utah and stayed with Jazz now for a couple of weeks. And that, you know, it's crazy because I've spent a lot of my life just practicing over and over and over and over and over and over again until my hand bleeds, and I didn't blow it all for seven months, but I was able to uh, get, like, so much better and sharper just from having someone around to help me that really knows what he's doing. So it kind of, like, changed my perspective of the type of practicing I should be having. It used to just be pulled cool until my hand fell off, but now it's like, uh, I find the... And the importance of having, like, a coach, you know. So uh, we spent two weeks in Utah, kind of just bowling an hour a day. I really didn't bowl that much. It's not like my hand was in true form. Um, and then when I showed up to D.C., I, I just felt good. My hand felt good. I say I talk about my hand because my hand's jacked right now for whatever reason. So we bowled in Washington, D.C., and then I get back I get back to Kansas City and I haven't bowled for three weeks. Well, I bowled a tournament on Saturday for like first time throwing a ball and uh weird story, I shut my uh thumb in a car door and the nail's falling off. Well the the brand new nail started bruising from under. And I don't know if I need to go in and change my pitches or not, but my hand's not doing very good right now and normally like when I take three weeks off, I'll get a little bruising in my thumb and then you know, kind of have to build it back up, but for whatever reason, right now my thumb is uh, kind of uh, limiting me to bowl. I was supposed to bowl regional this weekend in Iowa, and I I had to withdraw just because I can't really throw a bowling ball right now, which is kind of crazy. But uh, to answer your was, question, yeah. uh, I, I really just I really just spent three weeks in Utah or a couple weeks in Utah with the coach, which uh, really I was more prepared than I've ever been, really.
0: And I think some of the stuff, I mean, we, we were up here, and I, I was fortunate enough to get to spend a little bit of time with you, Brad, uh, when you were out here. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff we were talking about, uh, you know, when you're looking at coaching, you know, I know some of the stuff we worked on here at Storm at headquarters was a little bit on maybe some of the layouts and ball motion. But I think you also worked on maybe a, a couple of things, maybe like some mental tips and stuff like that with uh, with Mike Jasno, didn't you?
2: Yeah. And what's cool is uh, – you know like when you get on television and quite frankly you know I I never really had like this low stress uh mindset when it came to bowling I always put like a ton of pressure on myself like we all do you know but uh now has got some really cool stories that you know when he won his first title he went through three hall of famers and so when I he ended up beating Walter Ray in the final and it, and it kind of just goes to show you that if you just kind of keep doing it, you know, you're not going to get any worse and you're eventually going to find yourself in situations where you can get better. And, uh, and that's really all it kind of comes down to. There's no need, there's no need for like this extra stress or that you put on yourself, especially when you're on television, all the extra lights and cameras and stuff like that. so, you know, just, yeah, you know, trying to just be able to perform on a high level instead of, Letting the nerves and stuff actually get to you to the point where you you perform poorly. And jazz now, the cool thing about it is, is he's been through some experiences that uh, I hope to go through. You know, he's literally done it. So when I was on the Chameleon show, I just kept telling myself, "Well, like heck, if jazz now can do it, you know, I can do it." And sure enough, I found myself beating Simonson and Tackett. So you know, it's just. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's the really cool thing about Jazz now is he's been there, and he's kind of done it, and he's seen all different walks of personalities, and it just kind of helps me know that, you know, it's really not that big of a deal, and, you know, my mentality because of it has gotten a lot stronger.
1: So help us out here, then. How How is someone able to take that mindset and change it? Because it sounds like for you that was a pretty big shift, to 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 be able to make that mental change in in your game and and change things regarding how you were seeing things and even thinking about them
2: Yeah, well, like I think for one it takes time. You know, I think I think you need some good experiences to go your way, you know, which before I had the really good uh, experience on the chameleon show, you know, I had a couple decent ones. I've, I've been a part of the PBA League now for a couple of years, and I made a single show this year, and, you know, it, it took me a little time to be able to, to knock those barriers down. But, you know, finally, and, and even though, like, you know, I've missed some spares to lose, well, potentially lose and uh, all that stuff, even though there has been some negative, you know, just, you know, six years worth of grind out here, you're going to... You're gonna get some pretty good experiences. So for so for one, just time, you know, and, and let the good things kind of happen. Um, but for two, it's like you know, I just I kind of realized that, like back in like, let's say I'm watching a show from like the 1970s. You know, oftentimes there's a guy on that show, maybe even the winner. Like there's been a ton of winners on the PBA tour that I've literally never even heard of. So. And and I'm a professional, you know, I'm like a connoisseur of the the stuff. So it's like, you know, there's going to be people 30, 40 years down the road that watch a show that I'm a part of. And they're going to be like, oh, wow, I've never even like heard of this guy or I've never seen this show or whatever. So whatever was like so stressing me out for that one show, the crowd or whatever, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. Like in the grand scheme of things, like no one really, really, truly cares if you mess up. You know, no one really truly cares, you know, even if you do great, yeah, they're happy for you, but they're going to go on and live their normal lives the very next day, as you should as well. So, really, like, all the all the stress of television, you know, just, uh, you, you kind of get to a point where it's like, okay, this really isn't that big of a deal. Obviously, I deserve to be here to some extent, because, you know, I'm here, you know, even if I pull poorly, you know, I'm making progress in a lot of ways just from being here, so, um, yeah, you know, it, you gotta you gotta develop your own perspective on it, but which takes time for one. But for two, I think you just you come to a conclusion that you know if you stink, if you do good, you know whatever the conclusion of the, the result, uh, it's really not that big of a deal in scheme of things. The only big deal is that you just keep doing it and uh, you just keep trying because if you do that, you'll eventually get that.
0: Well, you had, you know, in talking about, you know, deserving, you know, and being there and kind of being in contention, the the PBA playoff uh, just finished up, and you had a heck of a showing in there. I mean, I thought it was pretty impressive. You know, you were the number 11 seed in this, and we're talking about the best of the best. And you went through a couple of, uh, you know, pretty uh, tough opponents. Uh, you mentioned on that Chameleon show, you know, going against Simonson and Tackett and beating them. Uh, but you also uh, took down Tom Doherty and uh, Jesper Svensson, and, and you, you came back at the end against Jesper, threw some really clutch shots to get there. And then you ran into Tom Smallwood. So why don't you talk about that just a little bit?
2: Yeah, so the first match, Doherty, you know, I had been – I felt like I had bowled a lot during those couple of weeks to where, like, the PBA League, we we lost in the semifinals, the PBA League, and then uh, and then – a match play the scorpion and the show of the chameleon and then we had a six-day break and then i came back but you know i had bowled on that television set for one more than doherty and for two just in general that whole like couple weeks i bowled more than doherty so i went in thinking that you know i i really got the edge here just simply because i've got more reps I, i understand what this television set looks and feels like i know what these lanes are doing had some success on the chameleon. So I I took like those previous two weeks into the match against Doherty. And, uh, and I, I saw that he didn't necessarily bowl the greatest game. Like after the seventh or eighth game, I was kind of thinking a frame I was kind of thinking that, you know, he wasn't too comfortable. And so I, I just mm-hmm. kind of felt like it was my, my time to win. Like when I got an opportunity in the ninth and 10th, I go, okay, well I've been, I've been in this scenario literally on this exact same TV pair a week ago, and I came through, so there's no reason why I can't come through. I know exactly what I need to do and where to throw it, so I ended up doing that, and I took that literal same mindset against Jesper, too. He got off to an early an early lead, and then when he opened in the ninth and gave me an opportunity, I thought to myself, okay, well, you know, he's literally been in the scenario. You know exactly where to throw it. You know, there's no reason why you can't just throw these couple shots. This is like, at this point, you know, you've got more. You know, I've had more reps on that TV pair than potentially anyone in the whole tournament. So it kind of just felt like, you know, my little playground. And it felt great to have that confidence because I had yet to have that confidence on television. And granted, you know, there wasn't a big crowd there or whatever, but still, you know, I was able to take some really good confidence and I was able to make some really good shots. And So I make it to Smallwood. And, you know, I wasn't really too, like, uh, you know, nervous or whatever against uh, Dory and Jesper. But, you know, we were filming the rest of those shows that day, the match I had against Smallwood. So if I beat Smallwood, I move immediately into the round of four, which starts like the next hour. And then, uh, so it was just a big day. Somebody was winning a hundred thousand that day. And, uh, and so I can remember before the match kind of thinking about that, you know, like, holy shit, this could be like a really cool day. And, uh, I think I went into that match a little different, you know, just kind of thinking about the situation. Um, I I didn't necessarily bowl a poor game. I bowled a game worthy of winning for sure. But uh, first of all, I was faced with the front seven. You know, he he threw the front seven at me. And he didn't hit one flush either. That was like the impressive part. He threw seven really good shots, and not one of them went flush, and all of them struck. It was kind of cool to see. But I think I went into that match a little bit. Uh, I think I was trying to play the lanes in a similar way to the way I played them the previous couple matches. Instead of uh, kind of recognizing that uh, they were playing a little tighter, and I probably should have moved a little mm-hmm. bit more right and, and squared up to it. Because uh, I mean, Smallwood ended up only shooting 240, so I, you know, I could have got to 250. But uh, the right lane got a little tight on me, and, and you know,
1: that was kind of it. So circling back a little bit then regarding the Collegiate Spotlight podcast and what we're doing here, it sounds kind of like we run into this all throughout our bowling career, whether we're bowling juniors or bowling in college or even on the PBA level, where there are times when we might be the underdog and we win. We win that match, and we have to – I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but we have to figure out, you know what, I, I bowled well. We can't think, well, they just had a bad game, you know, Tackett just didn't do this right, or he made, he wasn't on, and it was my day. I think in college and in pros and everywhere, we have to think, you know what, no, I bowled a good game, and, and that was that. Is that, I mean, how, how you think you have to go into these, whether, like I said, you're a junior bowling or you're bowling in college?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the kind of thing. Like, imagine, imagine winning a tournament. It's like you you come first place, whatever tournament it is. Like, you're the guy or, or the woman. Like, you're the you're the actual person that's leaving that bowling center victorious, and and you gotta. In order for that to happen, you have to almost be comfortable with that. Like, you have to just you know you have to just accept that. You know, you got to bowl good, but when you do, and, and when you keep your mind sharp that there's going to come a day that you, you come out victorious uh, on whatever stage, it will happen. And, you know, even if, uh, honestly, the way I've seen it, bowling for like, I don't know, 20 years now or whatever, it's like, if you do get those good breaks, say like you make a step ladder and everyone shoots 160 at you and you win, like, Yes, in your mind you can just say you got lucky, but honestly, the most important thing you can do is just get yourself there. Like, and then you got to take that for what it's worth. Like, even if they do shoot 160, you still were good enough to get yourself there. You still now have went through the process of actually winning. You know what it feels like to leave that bowling center victorious. Like, there are so many unbelievable experiences that you get from that. That, uh, that yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta use those things as confidence. Uh, instead of like trying to look at, you know, the weird ways that it could have happened, you know, it's like bottom line, if you put yourself in a position to win and you do, or at least you come close, like, I mean, I didn't beat Belma, but crap, I could have, you know? And, uh, and and it didn't take much for, you know, the, you know, it didn't take much for that match to just completely flip. And there's going to come a day where that match does flip, you know? Um, but yeah, it's it's just all kind of confidence, confident in just knowing that you can be the guy for the day, you know, and, and feeling good about that. Sometimes, you know, you can just let that be overwhelming, you know, all the media and all that stuff. Value, you know, that could that could kind of keep you from gaining a positive experience out of it. But you're right, you know, it's like no matter the walk of life, you gotta you gotta gain positive experiences out of it because, I mean, I, you know, that's that's extremely important because look at Walter Ray. He hasn't, you know, he's bowled 1,000 tournaments, and he's won 40 of them. So even if you're the best in the world, you're still losing so much that if you just kind of focus on the negatives, you're going to live a terribly miserable life in the bowling field. You're just going to. Like, it's just not a, it's mm-hmm. not a friendly enough game for you to, to really, like, let it affect your life negatively. You've got to try and find the positives. And to be honest with you, the most, the most successful people, that's definitely what they do,
0: for sure. And, and you know, in sticking with the kind of the collegiate theme here a little bit, Lindenwood University, I mean there there's a they've got a great program there. Uh, it's coaches Phil and Randy, uh, tremendously successful and stuff. but you're still talking about you know as a member of Lindenwood, thinking back here, uh, when you walked into the bowling centers, I'm sure you guys still at times when you're you're looking up at at maybe some of the other uh, higher profile Uh, programs, especially at the time, you know, when you go back a little bit and I'm sure there was a little bit of that kind of intimidation factor or you're trying to, you know, you're not the favored uh, team going into that situation. How how would you kind of describe your experience overall uh, in collegiate bowling there?
2: Well, it's funny because when you have a, when you have a group of guys behind you that you work with and you train with and for some reason, in college, me personally, I felt very comfortable with my entire team relying on me. Like I, I knew that if for whatever reason I made a mistake or I messed up, they weren't going to blame me. They knew that I was the guy that should have been there. I believed I was the guy that should have been there. I, you know, I felt like I really kind of thrived in uh, pressure situations when it came down to the team. But having that team there the people that I was really close with and I practiced with that helped me gain that confidence. I found it's harder to gain that confidence when you're on tour because you're more or less just by yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. you have ball reps, but, you know, those ball reps are, you know, more, almost more invested in Belmo's success than, than your own success. So even though you have help, your competitors have that same help, so it can still give you, like, this sense of, like, you know, you're really kind of on your own, which, you know, at the end of the day, you Mm -hmm. definitely are. And uh, I think some people thrive in that, and uh, some people don't thrive in that. I think I was one of those guys that thrived in college and then not so much, you know, kind of on my own. Um, And there's people who don't really thrive in college, and they get out the tour, and then they really thrive on that individual competitiveness. But it is, you know, it is, quite different the the difference between team and and I I, I used to say like when you if you really want to know what it feels like to have to make a shot or a really pressured situation full college because there's no more pressure than mm-hmm. having four or five guys wanting you or needing you to strike for a title and a coach and all the hours practice and everything sounds going to know. Having those four or five guys behind you, I felt like my first couple of years in college, that was like the hard learning curve. It's like, oh crap, these people need me to strike. And, then, um, and and that could be a great thing. And it is a great thing, actually. I miss it. Like, if you're a, if you're a college player right now, you know, worship those times with your friends because college bowling really is kind of coolest. Uh, the coolest moment in bowling for a lot of people simply because the tour is just so hard and it's lonely and it's not a whole lot of money and Uh, it's hard to find good quality help that could really teach you the ropes on how to be successful out there. And in order to be successful out there, it's almost like a lifestyle, whereas college bowling, yeah, it's a lifestyle, but you still got a lot of other stuff going on. You got college and you got social life and, and all that stuff. Um, that, that, that's kind of what I see as a difference. Uh, I don't know what you guys think, (laughs) um,
1: well, I have to be honest, Brad, I bowled some Baker tournaments and they've been just more for charity, more for fun type things. And you're right, there is more of a, a, a almost a, a pressure, you could say, when you're, you're throwing two shots a game versus you're throwing your whole game. And if you shoot 180 on your own and you're like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm screwing myself here. I'm not messing up the whole team where... When you're bowling a Baker match, you you know, it's a whole team that str- struggles. So I completely relate to that. I guess my final question, though, is regarding to, you know, some of the – we haven't asked this in a while. It is a Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast. A lot of great new releases out there on the Storm side and Roto-Grip as well. But what are you liking in your bag? And for the listeners out there maybe looking to add some pieces as a – continue to uh, get ready for their tournament season as we move along here in the bowling season? What are some pieces you're liking, and and, uh, and what should we be looking for?
2: Well, I think that I mean, probably the best bowl you can get for house shots, I think, or just like your typical league pattern, is this trend. And I say that because we haven't really, we haven't bowled a whole lot, so it's kind of hard for us to tell like what what is what, but Watching Frankie shoot 300 on that uh, on that television show with it uh, really kind of opened my eyes because Belmo bowled the match before with the thing carried down some oil, and then uh, Frankie got on it with that trend, and it just looked like a monster. And so I'm thinking that, you know, uh, easier oil patterns with a little bit of oil in the middle, that trend's going to be the ball. And the cool thing is it's not too strong where you can't throw when they're dry, and it's not – it doesn't hook too much. You can't throw it on your slick either. So you can do a whole lot of things with it. Um, I've heard some really good things about this Axiom Pearl. I, for one, haven't gotten a chance to throw it a ton. But uh, I know that uh, Darren threw a little bit in Washington, D.C. And I've heard some local guys uh, throwing it and shooting some pretty big scores with it in the league. So those, those are probably the two pieces I would say. That Axiom Pearl is pretty nice, and then the Trends pretty nice too. It's uh and then you got this IQ Nano that's, that's interesting because I really like the IQ line, and, uh, and this one has the, like a the much stronger cover on it. So uh, I'd be curious to see, because the core is such a low diff and it doesn't flare a whole lot, that with the strong cover, I bet you that would be a really good, really good ball for maybe some house shots or maybe some like uh, shorter pattern uh, sport shots, uh, especially since it uh, has such a strong cover. But, yeah, those three right there. Axiom Pearl trend i can have
0: and then i got to i got to just jump on that real quick because and we saw you throwing it when you were bowling against Jesper but a phase 2 uh for my money and i've been saying this now it's been going i mean we've had the ball in our line for a number of years but if you are going to pick you know just one ball to go to a tournament uh with the phase 2 i know it's not the newest ball in our line but i tell you it's one of the most reliable and it's definitely one of those balls that a lot of you guys on tour do use frequently
2: well, yeah, that's, uh, you know, and if, if we're being, like, really honest, you know, I'm much more of, like, a OG kind of guy. Like, I've been throwing these high roads. I mean, you, can, you can't go wrong with mm. any of those high roads. Like, you know, just I, I was a high road X kind of guy, and then the high road Pearl rolled pretty good in Washington, and then I drilled a high road, and that rolled pretty good, and now I've been throwing them, and it's like, I can't believe Storm actually put together – Three balls, because the the X is the strong cover, the original is the medium cover, and then the pearl is the pearl, obviously. But they actually roll exactly how you would think, like, mm-hmm. and it's crazy that we actually have three options that are that low end that can cover so many spectrums on like the hook, and then yeah, the, between the high roads and the phase two, you can like, you literally. <laughs> You almost, like I mean, you may need, like, a strong asymmetric ball here and there, but, like, just those alone could, could do so well for so many people, especially the phase two, you're right. I mean, that is, in my opinion, the best ball that uh, I've ever thrown. So, right. yeah, the, the phase two is definitely worth right that.
1: Well, on that note, Brad Miller, we'll let you go. But thank you for joining us today on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight Podcast. All the best of luck moving forward, and we will be catching up with you again down the road.
2: I appreciate you guys. Have a good one.